Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. In the situations where we have been under extreme pressure, it's when we focus, it's when we come together powerfully, it's when we all know the stakes are really, really high and we are just working in brilliant harmony. So I, I think I think teams are tested by pressure more than anything else. And I think it really elevates performance. Today, I'm talking to Cheryl Givanoni, CEO of one of the UK's largest charities, the Girls Day School Trust, responsible for the education of 18,000 girls in 23 fee-paying schools and two academies across the UK. She leads an organisation of 4,000 team players who work every day to, according to their mission, help girls learn without limits. Before that, she spent most of her career working at the world's largest marketing and communications group, WPP, starting as a PA at Ogilvy & Mather and almost 30 years later becoming their CEO of Advertising UK in 2013. In our conversation, she talks about how her team helped her identify what she needs when she's feeling under pressure, the significance of having a job she genuinely cares about rather than just enjoys, and why it's become vital to have a team that can, as she puts it, turn on a dime. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me to talk about pressure on the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. And um, I just thought, why don't we just kick off with the simple question of how would you describe your relationship with pressure? Oh, my relationship with pressure, really good question. Uh, it's um, it's not something I think about very often. I think you often simply are, you know, you, you are, um, you're just kind of cracking on and, what I what I think I have learned particularly over the last two years where we've just been under this extraordinary unprecedented level of pressure that doesn't seem to have relented at all. Uh, I think I am often at my best when I am under some form of pressure because it it makes you believe that the stakes are high and that what you do really matters. And that gives me energy. I feel really alive when I know that what I'm doing is going to make a demonstrable difference. So I think it's generally a positive one. Uh, I can't say that's been the case throughout the last two years at all. Uh, It ebbs and flows clearly, but I think I've got much better at anticipating and preparing for eventuality, whatever that might be, because it's all so uncertain right now. And learning to live with that uncertainty, Mm. I think probably has made me a better leader. Gosh, I'm already, I'm so interested in the fact that you said that actually you respond well when the stakes are high. You know, I mean, somebody else might say something completely the opposite. For you, stakes are enlivening, Cheryl, I'm hearing, enlivening. I do. I find them very energizing uh, and they mean you're not operating on autopilot. You are you are genuinely engaged and that what you do really, really matters. 
for the well for the, the sort of the health of the organization but also for the people who you expect so much of in uh, in a high pressure situation and I don't like to use the word crisis because I think we are living in times that you can describe as a crisis almost every day but actually learning to live with a sort of higher level of pressure has to be something you embrace and try and turn into a galvanizing force within your organization as best you possibly can and that isn't to downplay just how extraordinarily difficult things can be uh, but in some respects i think it is trying to help people understand and learn to pace themselves too through huge amounts of pressure and taking their rests when they need it. it's almost become i think um some sort of baton passing that you've got to rely on the team you have around you to pick up the baton and to be able to run with things and then have other people pick up from them and then give them a break because it is pretty relentless and it's very hard and whether you're always making good decisions or not is almost not the point you've just yeah. got to be moving and judging and trying to do your very best and helping people around you get comfortable with that I think is is very challenging yes well god there's so many things in there and I, I mean I can't imagine what the last 18 months have been for your organization specifically but also the, the shifts that have happened all the way through last year and what now seems the shifts are going to happen or continue to happen must be incredibly um challenging on on many levels but if we revert back and if i you know when do you remember experiencing pressure cheryl like you know how f can you actually bring to mind a moment when you thought god this feels different i i i think possibly uh the very first time i felt real pressure was when I was newly promoted uh, in South Africa into a, a director's position and I was sent on a training program with what I thought were lots of people who were far more experienced than I was. And just that sense of being surrounded by people who I thought were better than me made me feel incredibly out of my depth. And I panicked, I felt very insecure. I didn't feel like I was worthy to be there. And I allowed that sort of panic to wash over me. Uh, and, but there were times then on the course, it was a week long course where I just had to pull myself together and not show up looking nervous and all over the place and almost proving to myself that I couldn't do it. So. For me, there was something about that pressure that made me realize that I needed to take control, get a grip, and actually believe I could do it. And I do think that there is that sort of inner voice that can so often uh, confound you and make you feel like you're not good enough and that you, you don't measure up. And that can be overwhelming. And I just remember that week so well because the whole thing felt overwhelming and I didn't feel that I was at the top of my game at any sort of level. And it still, it still gives me shudders when I think back to it. Uh, so pressure isn't always a good thing. And I think it can tip you over into a real sense of you, you get quite frozen by it and then you can't perform and you're almost, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
so pressure hasn't always been a positive thing for me. Uh, it can be very negative and it can take you to a bad place. The one thing that I believe really helps with pressure, even reflecting back on that time, is being really clear about your journey and your narrative and what it is you're trying to do. And if you can be very clear about the, the kind of anchors you have, I think that that is almost a source you can draw on in times of great pressure because you have the roadmap and it's reconnecting with that roadmap and reminding yourself why you are here, why you're doing what you're doing and believing that you are worthy is for me one way of managing that pressure that I felt very early on in my career and still in some ways, as I said, haunts me a little bit. Yeah, and I suppose when do you get that sign that you're heading there? You're heading that way with the pressure becoming tipping. You talked about it being a balance that tips very quickly. How do you now, over the years of experiencing different levels of pressure, and also it sounds like learning from that very first moment, those that week. How do you, how do you, Cheryl, notice? Okay, I need I need to do something. I think you you said something. Get a, get a grip. How how do you actively do that? I mean, physically, it's quite interesting because one of the things I uh, I notice in myself is I become increasingly irritable. I become very uh, negative towards the people around me when I feel overwhelmed by the sense of pressure and all the pro the compete the competing priorities. Often, uh, I can start to react in a very clipped, very um, slightly aggressive way, and actually. With experience, I've learned that actually you don't get the best out of the people who can help you with that pressure if you are allowing your own physical sense of overwhelming kind of pressure mounting to get in the way of you performing. And we, you know, we have 25 brilliant heads in the GDST, all leaders in their own right, running their own schools. And one of those heads once said to me, it's really important not to react but to take the time to reflect. And there is something about when I feel like I'm tipping over the edge, just stepping back and thinking things through and scanning the horizon and just trying to figure out where the priorities lie and where I need to focus first helps kind of calm that inner sense of panic. And I therefore, I think, start to be much more constructive in the way I I kind of rally the troops in a way and get them to feel engaged and quite excited. I think there's energy to be had in helping people feel optimistic, even in the face of great pressure, mm. because it's how you behave in that situation. And importantly, how you behave as a team that I think gets you through. Uh, so I try very hard when that sort of physical sense of, of, uh, of pressure mounting could tip me over. Managing that for me is is something I've learned with experience yes, uh, sure. to focus on. And can you do that in the moment, Cheryl? Like, so, you know, I imagine, I mean, I know you're, you're in a thick of a quite a big pressure moment right now, I understand. And we'll talk about that um, in a minute. But when you notice that you're getting either grumpy or sharp or clipped or all of those things, just talk us through what do you do in that split second? You can probably get some feedback from the people that are around you, but what do you actually do? Well, the one thing I do is I, I do actually try to withdraw 
which is okay. very unusual for my my character and the way I generally engage with the world. I'm very uh, I'm I'm very extroverted. I'm very I'm very um, I'm a people's person, and I get energy from the people around me. But when I'm in that position and I feel that I'm starting to get sharp and lash out, I actually need to withdraw and just spend a little bit of time trying to uh, create almost to reset and to create a sense of what I need to do next without too much input. I think I often find the pressure worse when I'm getting a lot of input from people around me. And it's often unwanted input at a time when actually what I need to do is physically withdraw and just try and have a bit of time to think things through before I engage. Yes. And it's working out how I create that space that helps me, I think, perform better once I then decide to go again. Yes. And, and presumably your team, your direct team, understand that now about you. And do they ever tell you to take that time? <laughs> well, interestingly, I didn't know that I actually did it until one of my team said to me, I've noticed when you are in a high pressure situation and you are preparing for something with us, you are the one who needs to have some quiet time and not be quite so much part of the, the kind of nervous energy as people are preparing for a big event or a big encounter. You are the one who tends to withdraw. And it, it, it was her saying it to me that actually made me realize mm. And it was something that I re that I needed and that I should consciously take time for rather than making it part of just feeling slightly antsy and therefore backing away, yes. being much more purposeful about it. Yes. Uh, and her having pointed it out was actually a learning experience for me. And it was my team telling me something about myself that I hadn't fully realized. And uh, as a result, I think there is there's almost a new contract of when we are in those high pressure situations, I might just need a bit of time and not to be constantly having to engage in the kind of conversation that is going on. Yes, yes. So let, that leads nicely into, I know that you're in a bit of a long haul pressure moment right now. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about that, Cheryl, and how you, manage something that goes over time you know a pressure that goes across quite a bit of time how, how what's the difference for you in not just managing yourself in those moments of pressure but also leading others through that prolonged sense of pressure can you t tell us a little bit about that I think one of the things I've learned through sort of prolonged pressure which involves lots of different stakeholders and when I talk about stakeholders, I'm, I'm talking essentially about the leaders of our schools who are pretty much engaged in the same, in the same protracted period of, of um, pressure that we're facing as an organization. Uh, and I, I, what, I, what I try and do is remind people, and actually I, I don't just remind, I think a really important thing is to have regular check-ins. Mm. So you can literally call everyone together and say, we, we're going through sort of a, a, a process, we, we're almost on a roadshow and we're visiting a series of our schools each week. And at the end of each of those weeks, we've all got together again with the, the schools, with the heads of the schools we've visited and the schools that were, were coming next. And 
we've used this as an opportunity to reflect on what we think went well, what we think could have gone better. I've used those leaders to talk to other leaders about their experience. And I've used it as a way of almost giving them some coaching to think about how they may manage one of the meetings when you know the roadshow progressed to their school. So, so we've been sort of in this process of constant iteration and learning and refining and trying to work out how we could be the very best we can, not for ourselves, but actually for the organization, because what we all know we're delivering is something that is in the interest of the whole organization, but not necessarily that every single individual uh, it, 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 who is impacted by this may not feel the same, you know, it may be much more personal for them than being able to keep the organizational goals in mind. So balancing those things, but learning from it as we go and trying to do the very best we can by the people in our organization is really important. And it's spending the time rather than just, you know, going at, at helter-skelter through the process and just hoping you get to the end and you're still in one piece. It's actually using it as a, as a learning experience and as a coaching experience for us all. Yes, and I, I imagine there's been some tough moments during that time. You know, what, what's the greatest pressure that you experience in this? The greatest pressure, I think, is where it is your personal integrity that has to be brought to bear. And it's, it's taking something that you have built and a culture that you have nurtured over a long period of time and knowing that it is a moment of real challenge for that culture and and trying to preserve as much as you can keep your personal integrity be uh be empathetic and supportive but being firm about what the organizational needs are and getting those things balanced, getting those things in balance is a huge challenge. And the pressure I feel is as the leader of the organization, how do I ensure that we as an organization move forward and what does the next chapter look like? Even though we're currently in this chapter, yeah. I think it's really important that I'm constantly thinking about what comes after? What is the next phase? Whatever this phase brings, what might we be taking on and rebuilding and, and reshaping? Because the other thing that I think has gone on, particularly over the last two years, is organizations are, are in this process of rapid redefinition and reshaping. Yeah. It's going on all around us all the time and being agile enough. But actually, the fact that these are people you're dealing with with families and feelings and commitments and loyalty to an organization are all those competing uh, factors really that, that you have to take into account as you're thinking about the organizational health, but also about your probably your most, in fact, definitely your most prized asset are your people. Yes. They are, they are the, they define the culture. They are the culture and they are the ones that need to, be reflecting it. So I think that's the biggest challenge, certainly for me right now, and I'm sure for most leaders, thinking about how organizations are evolving and what we take from this and how we build positively for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think you're so right. There's so many people going through this 
agility, this, this uh, either a transformation or, an, or a new process or a, a sense of adaptation that's going on right now for many is immense. And I think what's so helpful about what you're sharing here is how, how does a leader sort of respond personally, but also have a vision of what next, because often these shifts are having to create a reset for many. And, and I'm hearing that actually, how, how do you deal with that personally, but also how do you take through the people that are in your team and the others that are going through it? How do you help them through this pressure moment? And also, where do you get your source of respite, Cheryl? You know, I, there's been so much pressure for people this year in many different forms. And, you know, where, how do you look after you in this? I do look after me because I think that's really important. Uh, and because you are giving so much energy and so much is expected of you. And, you know, I consider that a privilege. But being able to show up feeling like you're in your best possible shape, I think is, is uh, uh, your responsibility uh, as a leader. Uh, and you've got to, you know, I right through right through COVID, and fortunately, because we were in lockdown, my yoga practice didn't suffer because so many of my yoga teachers actually pivoted really fast and went online. And I managed to really maintain the rhythm of my personal yoga practice, which is something that does really keep me feeling like I'm invested in myself and therefore. I can give so much more to the organization. So it's about good breathing. It's about, you know, that calm space. It's about taking that time. And so much of the kind of practice of yoga is about that. Uh, and it does force you to literally take that time out and focus so that you can come out feeling stronger and being more nurturing of, of the organization you need to lead. This idea of nurturing yourself to nurture the organisation is so often overlooked, particularly in moments of pressure. It's important to look after the basics, whatever they are for you. It's essential to know which part of your shed needs nurturing, especially when faced with long-term pressure situations. For me, I know that prioritising sleep makes a massive difference the way I can handle pressure. And if I'm under significant pressure, I have to pay even more attention to winding down. Or, as Paula McKenzie said in another episode, reverse out of my day. Love that phrase. Cheryl knows that yoga helps sustain her energy and understanding what it is that allows us to sustain our energy and being consciously protective of that space is incredibly important. In the book, I write about the importance of being properly selfish and I use it as a means of helping people to find a way through the apparent paradox that the best way to look after others is to look after yourself. I had a client once who knew that if she prioritised herself when the pressure was on, she'd be much more used to her team. And she'd give herself permission by saying to herself, I'm off to have a massage for my team. Looking after you is central to choosing to be better under pressure. I mean, as you've gone through these moments of pressure, what have you learned about yourself, Cheryl? Now, from that, that young woman who went into a week's course and thought, my God, everybody is so much better than me, to you know, now a CEO of, of, a, of a very, very important institution that's doing some great work for girls' education. You know, what, what have been the lessons that you're banking that have allowed you to, to be the leader you are now? I think that probably the most important thing is having found something 
I am genuinely invested in. There's something about the, the fact that I can bring my whole self to this role. I feel so personally invested makes all the difference. And one of my reflections is I've done lots of jobs I've really enjoyed. I've never done a job that I care about as much as this job. And there is something about when you bring your whole self and you feel like you are you are in tune with what your what your organization needs from you. And that means I, I don't think that necessarily means forever. I think organizations often need new kinds of leaders at different times. But whatever you're doing, if you can feel that connection and you have a very strong set of values that you are investing in on behalf of the organization, I think that that helps you be the very best you can be. Uh, and I think it helps you relax in a strange way, even when you're under pressure, because you are doing what you believe is the right thing in service of the organization. And it feels much more powerful as a result. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you feel that, you know, um, one of the, I have this, this phrase, in fact, with uh, the, the two other people I've been on this road trip with, which has been pretty grueling, uh, when we've had particularly uh, bad days, we say to each other, just remember, we are good people. And there's something about that. We are good people. We are doing what we believe is the right thing. And uh, I, it, there's just something about that sort of reminder that we really care about what we're doing and we're doing it for the right reasons that I think is a reminder of, of how important this is. Coming into an organization that has, you know, an educational organization with presumably people that have stayed in education, who are passionate about education, who have had a professional sort of journey through an education, through education. How was that, Cheryl, for you coming from, so just remind us where you were before, and, and it was a very different job you took here, wasn't it, from what you've been used to? It was completely different. I've spent all of my career in WPP, in, you know, um, in leadership roles, either running design and branding agencies, and most latterly, I was the CEO of Ogilvy London. So very different uh, set of skills, as it were, and, one of the big debates, I suppose, in anyone's career is, do you have transferable skills? Can you actually? And it's becoming more and more important to invest in transferable skills. It's part of what we teach the girls in our schools. One of the things when I made such a shift into education, uh, I think it came at a time in my career where I felt sufficiently confident uh, in what I did know and the experience that I had got and that the organization perhaps needed that experience. What the organization had were 25 absolutely brilliant heads who knew everything about education. And what I brought was a real understanding uh, uh, and instinct for what great marketing might look like in education. And it was putting those two things together, uh, but working with the brilliant heads who really lead on the education piece, I think that worked for me. Uh, so that was really important. Uh, and there, there's something else I think about the fact that we are educating, you know, the, the lots of girls in our schools are going to be the women of the future, who they are the future leaders who are going to change the world. And there is something about that that is, is so important for us all to be investing in, you know, investing in the future of 
of the girls in our schools and helping prepare them for a world that clearly is going to be as volatile, have all these uncertainties, lots of excitement, but that they are going to be constantly adapting to. I think how we behave and how our heads behave through pressure like we faced over the last two years is something that the girls in our schools are learning from. Yeah. And, and that's really important too. You know, are we the role models of the kinds of leaders that our girls will aspire to be when their time comes? And that's, you know, another really exciting part of the job, I think, being part of, of helping the next generation figure out how they will lead uh, is, is very, is very uh, I suppose it's very um, sort of, you know, rewarding, really. Yeah, 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 sounds it. And I, I'm interested in, in your view, actually, Cheryl, on... What are your thoughts around our education system currently in educating our young women, girls, actually young people, to be honest? I mean, I know you're, 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 you're specialising in girls' education, but if you think about young people uh, generally, do you, do you think that the education system is supporting or doing as much as they can to enable our young people to deal with pressure and be better with pressure because the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because I think there is an enlivening as you've just described around pressure if we can learn um, how we react to it how we choose to respond to it as it is all about choice and I am curious genuinely curious about about the current education system and if it's doing us enough what's your view on that Sarah, it's a really good question, and I think it is it is a challenge for the country as a whole, and for all young people. Uh, you know, I know that the GDST is an is a network of independent schools. Largely, we have two academies, and I would like to think that we are able, because of the fact that we are independent schools, is we can introduce a lot of the material that we think will be very important for uh, what we call Education 4.0. It's the World Economic Forum's sort of principles around what the future will look like and therefore how are we preparing uh, the, the, the children in our schools right now. So things like, you know, entrepreneurship, uh, social skills, all the kinds of softer skills that clearly are not currently part of the curriculum but become much more important, creativity, confidence, collaboration, the things that we teach, not around what we do, but actually those are the things that I believe need to sit almost under the curriculum because they are the things that will prepare uh, the, the, the pupils in our schools for the future. Uh, and, you know, I like to think we, we're doing a lot of those things that make the biggest difference. Two of the, the sort of strands of our strategy that are most important right now, one is uh, all around diversity and inclusion. The other is all around sustainability. Those are the things they really care about. And if you can weave those things into their education, it all is so much more relevant and is helping prepare them for a future that is pretty well you know, unknown right now and not mapped out in any great detail. And you know, I do not believe this generation are, I don't think it's fair to call them snowflakes. I think they have been incredibly resilient through what they have had to endure. Yeah. 
and you know we should we should give them a lot of credit for the fact that they are extraordinary in terms of how they're managing to deal with the great uncertainty we're all facing yes i agree with you and i think this is a great moment uh to ask you what i'm asking every guest cheryl which is if there were two pieces of advice you would pay forward to anyone listening to this to enable them to be their best in pressure, what would they be? What would your first piece of advice be? Uh, my first bit of advice would be work out where you believe you're going to make the most significant difference. Uh, and you can't do everything. You have to make some choices about where you, your personal influence will make the biggest difference. And then I use the phrase, you know, you need to sweat the big stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff because you will get completely swamped. Sweat the big stuff that is going to make the biggest difference and channel your energies into that more than you channel them into anything else. And I don't always take that advice myself, but I know I am, <laughs> I am much better when I am sweating the big stuff. Uh, that would be my first thing. And the yes. second thing, and this is something that I think is just being proven through highly pressurized times, is you have to have a team you can trust, a team that has your back and that can take on things and uh, you, you know that they're going to get done and you know that it'll all be fine because you are brilliantly able to... Uh, pass the baton between you and cover everything off. But knowing you have that high performing team who can just do that uh, almost without having to ask, I think just elevates everyone's performance. And I've only seen that with my team uh, in the situations where we have been under extreme pressure. It's when we focus, it's when we come together powerfully, it's when we all know the stakes are really, really high and we are just working in brilliant harmony. So I, I, think, I think teams are tested by pressure more than anything else. And I think it really elevates performance. It's like last week when suddenly the government was talking about whether schools are going to uh, come back early in January or whether there's going to be a, a, a protracted period of, of, of lockdown for schools so we can slow things down. And there's just something about, you know, the fact that that message happened on Friday, literally the day all the schools were breaking up. Uh, within an hour, the team had been convened, given the brief, what do we do? We had a COVID steering committee meeting and we were kind of drilling under pressure what we needed to do, what we had to put in place, what the mitigations were. And you know, literally one hour later, the set of guidelines was issued to our schools in terms of this is how you deal with what is coming. This is the contingency plan. And here are, plan, you know, here are plans A, B and C, depending on what comes next. And that's come the agility and the speed with which we have been able to kind of surround a pressure point, drill really good practice and then move on is is actually a real high in a way of the kind of sustained pressure we've been under the fact that you can react 
and respond in real time we would never have been able to do that before that would have taken us weeks to get together we now literally turn on a dime Fantastic. Uh, and it's working out when to turn on a dime and when to step back and reflect and and plan and plot that you've got to really be conscious of I think in times of great pressure what a great example of of a um of a pressure that's been drilled. That practice has been drilled throughout the year, hasn't it, because with the changes. And then you can, and it seems like it saves so much energy, people's energy, because they've done it before. You put the right people around the issue, you sort it, and it's done in, what, one and a half hours. You've got a plan, how fantastic. Incredible. And you've got to remember that's incredible. You know, I constantly remind my, my team, what you've just done is incredible. Think about that, feel proud. Uh, you know, that's an achievement because otherwise we just roll through these things, you know, stopping and, and celebrating is also really important when you're under pressure. Oh gosh, I love what Cheryl is emphasising here. The importance of recognising just what's been achieved despite or even because of the pressure. It sounds like she literally forced a pause for everyone to notice and appreciate what they'd done together, to celebrate it. And it's tough to do that in moments of pressure. But when we do take time to note the specifics of what we've achieved, we can fire up the confidence to keep going and ease the pressure for future challenges. And I mean, I've had, um, I've had the privilege of working with, with your heads and some of your teams during the last sort of year of shift when everything went virtually. And one of the things that struck me really powerfully actually was that sense of community across all of the schools and that unification of, right, we're in this together. And the uh, our young people, our girls are at the heart of every choice and decision we make right now. Um, but that sense, and I think every, uh, so many people, so many of the heads talked about that sense of team that had been built within their own uh, senior teams as a result of the pressure. So I, I definitely witnessed that. It was palpable. And that, and that was palpable in, in this way of communicating. You know, this was out being, you know, without being in the room with them. Um, so I, I definitely would endorse everything that you've said there because I witnessed it. But I'm, I'm wondering now, you know, with, with the uncertainty that you've just described, how, how is that being banked and used to good effect as this continued uncertainty winds out, Cheryl, would you say? Uh, I think it's being used best uh, and it's interesting just listening to you then Sarah was it, it reminded me of our values and I, I think people don't always spend enough time defining their their values or their beliefs as an organization I think it's very easy to trip out words that we all aspire to to uh, to holding up but spending real time on them and then making those the uh, almost the filter through which you judge whether you are living up to those values is what has been really tested through, mm. you know, what essentially has been, uh, you know, ongoing pressure for the last two years. And ours are, you know, girls first. So have we put the girls first? Is everything we're doing, you know, in their best interests, family, and you said yourself, you've seen us working together really, really well. You know, what, how do families behave? What do you do for each other? And it's part of that, you know, what I've just said, you have each other's backs, you know, you're there for each other. Uh, the other's fearless, really important one, you know, 
being fearless, having courage and resilience when things are really, really tough. Uh, and the final is forward thinking. So what does the future hold? Because actually at the end of the day, what we are are stewards of this current chapter yes. uh, of the organization, all of us. And it's, it's what we do now that dictates the legacy we leave. And I think it's almost being able to lift lift the conversation and lift our lift our sights to that bigger picture that can be very inspiring when things are particularly uncertain and difficult. That I think gives people a sense of of possibility and energy, and that it matters. That you know there are there are big things at stake here, and they matter. Uh, partly the education of twenty thousand girls that really matters. But keeping that keeping that focus when things are potentially unraveling all around us becomes yes. even more important. Yes, and, and that's tough, isn't it? <laughs> to do that It's really sometimes. tough, it's really tough. And it's easy to talk about, but you know, on a day-to-day -day basis in the grind of what has been, you know, the most exhausting time ever, teachers, yeah. you know, schools, our support staff, are, everyone is on their knees. They've done so much for so long. And now we, you know, we, we're still being, they're still being asked to do even more. So much more is being asked of them every day. And that is hard. And it's hard to keep people motivated and inspired and believing that it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yes. And there at the heart of a leader, you know, is, is their responsibility, is your responsibility. <laughs> to, to, to paint that picture. You started this whole conversation about the, the, the skill and, and the, um, the value you have as a leader to lift people into hope. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an, a huge fan of Barack Obama. I read his book recently, uh, which A Promised Land, which there are just so many pearls of wisdom in there. And there's just one thing he said that I loved, which as a leader, he said, you will never do enough, but do it anyway. Uh, so there's just sort of a sense of, you know, you will never think it's enough. Perhaps other people won't think it's enough, but do it anyway. And there's just something very energizing and empowering about, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. What a great way to finish. Cheryl, thank you so much for your time and your pearls of wisdom. And um, I really hope that you get a decent break now so that you can reset and start again in the new year. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.